Brothers and sisters, would you stand with me in respect for the Word of God? We're in Proverbs chapter 4. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4 to follow along. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. For Forsake ye not my law, for I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of, the, of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor. When thou dost embrace her, she shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. When thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is as the shining light, that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear, Unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Turn over to the chapter that was read earlier, Proverbs chapter 4. If you want to follow along, there is an outline in your bulletin around, I think, on page 10. And you could follow the outline there. So the book of Proverbs, the first nine chapters, are more written in narrative style. When we get to chapter 10, they're sentence Proverbs. But the first nine chapters, we can take as units. And so that's what we're doing in this series, preaching through Proverbs. So we'll go through chapter 9, and then when we hit chapter 10, we'll deal with the different topics that some of the key topics that the writer deals with in Proverbs. Proverbs is God's handbook 
of wisdom. This is the, this is the greatest wisdom literature known to man. The Word of God. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject of breaking the power of addiction. We are a culture of addiction and abuse. And as believers, it is easy for us to try to hide those things we're struggling with, even addictions. Many unsafe people have addictions and they're destroyed by them. But many Christians do as well. These powers of addiction can and ought to be defeated. So I want to speak to you on this subject of breaking the power of addiction. Sin is very deceitful, isn't it? The deceitfulness of sin is this. It tantalizes us and it promises us, oh, freedom. I remember when I was a kid and I used to say to my parents, I can't wait till I'm old and then I can just do what I want. And then I realized when I started to do what I want, I became a slave to what I was doing. Sin is enslaving. It promises freedom and satisfaction, but ultimately it only just tangles us up into its web of sin, of captivity, chains. And then when you're you're living that life that you thought you wanted to live, of freedom, then you wonder, how can I break free from this Slavery that I'm in. So today we want to look how we can break free. As we begin, let's just read one verse of Scripture. And let's look at verse 23. One of the key passages of Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4, can you read it with me? Verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Let's pray. So, Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house and to hear Your Word and to look a little more carefully at this proverb, chapter 4, that maybe we've read many times, but maybe we didn't catch everything there. Lord, I know I surely learned some things here and didn't catch everything through my years of reading this. So, may it be an encouragement, may it be a challenge, and may it give us all hope to overcome those sins that so easily beset us, Lord. We thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. So, breaking the power of addiction, breaking those sins that tantalize us and have brought us into some form of captivity. So, let me start out asking you a question. You can answer this in your mind. You remember the Word of God was given to to Moses up on the mountain, right? And God put that put the word, the commandments, in a stone to Moses. Now, where was that housed? Where was that kept when Moses came down off the mountain and then through the history of Israel? Where did they keep those tables that God gave to Moses on the mount? Remember? In the tabernacle. What part of the tabernacle? In the Ark of the Covenant. And if you think about that, the Ark of the Covenant was the holy of, in the Holy of Holies and the most holy piece of furniture, the only piece of furniture in the Ark of the in the tabernacle, in the holy place. So remember the tabernacle had a holy place and there was the candlestick and the altar of incense and the table of showbread and then the most holy place, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was. So the 
Word of God was kept in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, in the most holy piece of furniture in the whole nation of Israel. So the Word of God was kept in the very heart of the heart of the temple worship. And that's what the writer says in Proverbs chapter 4 about our heart. Where it says in verse 4, look at verse 4, he says, Let thine heart retain my words. Retain is literally, let your heart be chained to my word. That your word, that, that God's word is what enslaves us. Not the sins of this world, but the word of God. This word, retain, is actually used, if you look quickly, go to Proverbs chapter 5, where he's talking about the chains of sin and being held with the cords of sin and addiction here here in Proverbs chapter 5, sexual immorality. He says in verse 22, here's the same word used, not translated retain, but it's the same Hebrew word as the one retain that we just looked at. He says in Proverbs 5.22, are you with me there? Can you read it? It says... His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. He shall be holden with the cords of his sins. That word holden, literally, someone who is destroyed with his sin is held with them. He's chained with them. That word holden is the same word retained. And I thought it was very interesting that here it's used of being chained to sin and being destroyed by that sin. But in chapter 4, he says, retain my words. Be chained to My Word. Let Your Word dwell in the holy of holy place of Your life, which is Your heart. Let Your heart. That's the inner You. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so in the very holy place of Your being, the Word of God must be retained. Now look in one other verse here. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 21, he says, in Proverbs 4, 21, he says, let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. And there again, I thought of the holy of holy place. In the midst of the temple, in the midst of that most holy place, the Word of God was in the midst of the ark. And let the Word of God dwell in you richly like that in the midst of your heart, in the midst of your being. And this is really the first step in breaking free, is to let the Word of God sanctify you and deliver you. The heart is a big word in Scripture. And in the book of Proverbs. And in this chapter, we just read two key verses. That we are to keep the Word of God in the midst of our heart. We are to have the Word of God chained, if you will, in our hearts. And a lot of times, I think as Christians, we hear what we're not supposed to do, you know. And obviously we shouldn't do certain things as Christians. But we, we know the list, right? Don't do what? Don't get drunk. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't do drugs. Don't go to rock and roll concerts. Don't go to clubs, you know. Don't snort cocaine. I mean, there's a lot of don'ts. But the thing is, If we focus on what we should be doing, we won't even have enough time to properly do it. (laughs) So really, the Christian life isn't, oh, I can't have fun. That's not the Christian life. 
the Christian life is you can have more fun than this world can ever think about having by doing what God has called us to do. And that's to get into the Word of God and know the Lord through His Word and preach the Word and share the Word and live for Jesus. Focus on what we are to be doing. And we won't even have time to, to think about or do what we're not supposed to be doing. So this morning, I want to open your heart a little bit. I want you to ask your own heart some questions. So, we, and I've said in a few past weeks, we need to be a God chaser. And we need to be a God truster. And here, I want to encourage you to be a heart opener. Open your heart to the Lord. Open your heart to the Word of God. So that the Word of God could come into your heart. And then retain it. Lock it away in there. Know the Word. Live the Word. Now, this chapter is an amazing chapter. Whereas in chapter 3, God's name is mentioned nine different times. Proverbs 3 is divided into three sections. And off, these sections are divided with these kinds of expressions like, in, Hear ye children, or he says, My son. And it divides this, the, the, the chapter. So ch- Proverbs 3 was divided into three parts. The Lord's name was mentioned nine times. Proverbs 4 is divided into four, three parts also. Three parts. And you could see them. Like verse 1, Hear my children. Down in verse number 10, Hear, O my son. And then down in... Verse number 20, my son. You know how many times God's name is mentioned in chapter 4? Not once. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Why? Why is God's name mentioned nine times in chapter 3? Not once in chapter 4. But you know what there is in chapter 4? As I went through this chapter, there are 36 commands. In these 27 verses, 36 commands. So, this chapter has an incredible sense of urgency. That we've got to get this right. We've got to get on the pathway of God. We've got to break these things away in our life and live for Jesus Christ. There's an urgency here. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 5. Notice the commands in verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. There's four commands right there. And then in verse number 7, he says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. So I just read six commands. And if you look down in verse 14, please, he says, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. There's two commands. Verse 15, he has four more. He just piles up command upon command. As he says, avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. So I sense an urgency in these verses. There's an urgency for us to get on the right path and to break these powers of addiction and to have our heart open to the Word. Now, think about the word heart for a moment as I read these two verses. Keep, let thine heart retain my words. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. So when the the Bible speaks about the heart, what is, what is the Scripture talking about? What is the heart? The heart, biblically speaking, is your entire personality. It's your inner personality. It's the totality of your inner spiritual nat- nature. The heart relates to the outflow of your life in your emotions. The way you feel about things. It's coming out of your heart. 
Your words, a man speaks out of the abundance of the heart. And our actions flow out of our heart. So, the heart speaks about every soul and bodily function, if you will, is attributed ultimately to the heart. I studied the heart for over an hour to say what I just said in about 30 seconds right there. But the heart is a very great subject in the Bible. And even in Proverbs, it talks about different kinds of hearts. It talks about a perverse heart, a deceitful heart, a foolish heart, a heavy heart, a sick heart, a bitter heart, a sorrowful heart, a backsliding heart, a proud heart, an enraged heart. Those are just some of the expressions in the book of Proverbs alone. And yet the, the Proverbs also speaks about a wise heart and an understanding heart and a prudent heart. We need to have our heart right. Open up your heart. Fill your heart. We need to fill our hearts with the Word of God. So there's three things I want us to see today about breaking the power of addiction. The first thing is we need to seize wisdom. We need to seize wisdom. I'm going to give you all three points. Actually, they're in your notes. because I just have really three key words here. The first word is seize. The second word is shun. And the third word is shield. Seize wisdom. Shun the foolish pathways. And shield your heart from everything in this world. Seize Shun and shield. Can you say it with me? Seize, shun, and shield. Okay, so that's the sermon right there. Breaking the power of addiction. So let's talk about seizing wisdom. As we've said, what wisdom is. Wisdom is the skillful application of my God relationship to all the moral, the complex decisions and realities of life. Whether in my personal life, my family life, church, work, community, wherever. So in other words, wisdom is the application of my knowledge. So I know God is loving. So what's wisdom do? Behaves in a loving manner. <laughs> and applies that. See, I know God is this way, so I want to live that way. I know God is holy, so now I want to live a holy life. So, wisdom isn't just knowing about God. Wisdom is taking what I know of Him in a personal way and then applying it skillfully to my life. Am I still on? Maybe. Okay. Okay. So, uh, it does... We got, we got uh, infiltrated? Somebody's addicted to uh, hacking. <laughs> so we need to seize wisdom. As I said, the writer speaks with such urgency. We need to acquire it. When? Now. We need to obtain it. When? We need to possess it. When? Now. We need wisdom for today. We need wisdom now. We can't put this off. Now there's a few things that I want to say here. Under seizing wisdom, and I've mentioned this also, but God's name is absent from Proverbs chapter 4, but His presence is not. God is very much present. He's present in the father and mother who's teaching the son wisdom. 
So as the father and mother teach the child God's Word, they are God's ambassadors, and God is present in the home. And that's really how He's working today. It's not like Jesus is physically there in our home with us, but He's with us. The Lord is present in the lives of these parents referenced in Proverbs chapter 4. And their teaching, the teaching of the parents and even the grandparent is sourced in God. Their teaching is derived from God. As we read this and we see, for example, look at verse 1. He says, hear ye children, the instruction of a father. But what, He says, hear the instruction. But where's the instruction coming from? Who's the real source of the instruction? God. The father isn't just telling him his opinions and whim. He says, here, hear this instruction. And then he says in verse 2, for I give you good doctrine. Well, whose doctrine? Ultimately, it's the Lord's teaching, right? Forsake ye not my law. That's what the Father says. But whose law is it? God's law. So, the parents must be teaching the Word of God, is the point. Now, if you're not a parent, don't turn me off. I'll, I'll speak to you, because this is for all of us. And even, let me say this to you, you might say, well, I don't have any addictions, really, that are serious. You know, I'm not a drug addict or a drunkard or whatever. You may think, and that's, praise God, if that, that's the truth. But you can help somebody else with this message. You know, so never think, oh, this message isn't for me. Yes, it is for all of us. Take it and use it to help somebody else with it. Now, what we see here in this passage is that the family is so essential, isn't it? Look what he says in verse 3. He says, For I was my father's son. Now, who, who's writing this? Solomon, right? So who's his father? Who's he talking about there? He's talking about David. And then he says, And only beloved in the sight of my mother. Who was Solomon's mother? It was Bathsheba. That had committed adultery with David. David committed adultery with her, but it takes two to tango, I guess, as they say. So, but, but Solomon felt deeply loved by them. He says, I was on, the only beloved in the sight of my mother. <laughs> Getting, am I going to hear that the whole time? Okay, that's good. That's, that's comforting. No. <laughs> I just heard me say, it was like an echo, the echo of my voice. But look at, look at this, and this, is, this passage is very unique in this way. Now watch what he says. In verse 4, Solomon says, He taught me also. Who, who is the he there? Who is the he referred to? David. David taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. So those words came from who? David. Solomon is telling us really how we probably got a lot of these Proverbs. He was taught by his father. And now he's teaching them to his son. And so he says, keep... And this is what David said, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom and get understanding. In other words, that's David's instruction to Solomon that now Solomon is giving to his son. So in a sense, Solomon's son is hearing the teaching of who? His grandfather through his son. And that's convicting to me. But make that your goal. If you have a godly mom or dad, teach your children the Word of God. Maybe some things that your parents taught you from Scripture. Pass it on. 
Pass it on. Now, David was Solomon's father, and we know he wasn't perfect. We know he had a lot of sins. And in fact, when I think about breaking free from addiction, Solomon's writing to us how to do it, but he fell into some very severe addictions himself. Actually, the the next three chapters after this, he deals with sexual immorality. And Solomon was the kingmaker of having the strange woman that he warns us against. I find that amazing that God chose Solomon to write it, even though he himself would fall into it. So we must never think, oh, that's not for me. (laughs) The one who wrote it fell into these sins. We have to be careful. And we must have this sense of great urgency. So, again, I come back to verse 3. And you know what I see in verse 3? I see where he says, I was my father's son. Did he feel special? Don't you think Solomon felt special to David? I was, I was David's son. And then he says, I was beloved in the sight of my mother. Let me ask you this. Did Solomon feel love from his mom and dad? Yeah. So here's the point for all of us, moms and dads, or if you're not a mom or a dad, love the other children around you. Love your children if you have children for sure. And let them feel your love like the writer felt the love of his father and mother. And I think of John, how John the Apostle felt so loved by Jesus. He says, I'm the Apostle Jesus loved, you know. And so I say to you, let's love those that we disciple. And I would say to all of us, if you don't have children, disciple someone. Spend your heart and pour out your heart. And maybe help a parent with their children. Maybe spend some time. Get to know their children with the parent's permission. So if you don't have children, pour yourself into others. Make them feel that, you, that they are beloved in your sight. Belonging to a church like Heritage means that every member of our church should be involved in some kind of way in helping to raise up the children for the next generation. I say, I challenge you, do not stand aloof from the children around you. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for our Sunday school teachers who are pouring themselves into our children and thank God for those who are doing it. So the writer says that wisdom, we need to get it. We need to seize it with all of our being. Because look what he says here. What does he call wisdom in verse 7? What does he call wisdom? He says it's what? What kind of thing is wisdom? It's the principal thing. And I looked that word up. You know what that word is? It's the very first word in the Hebrew Bible. What's the first word in the Bible? In the beginning. That's the same word. So in other words, this is the beginning thing. This is the principal thing. We need to get wisdom. We need to get understanding. With all your getting that you get in life, get wisdom and don't wait. So I picture a trading floor here. You know, this, this world just loves to get stuff. I don't think the trading floor looks like that anymore in this digital age. But it used to be kind of crazy, the trading floor. People would be screaming and yelling and shouting. I, I don't really know what it's like now. I, I don't. 
But making money hinged on seconds. And if they wanted to make a deal, they had to get that deal. They had to make that sale. And that's the kind of urgency. That's the kind of urgency that the, the writer is giving to us. You need this wisdom. You've got you to go for it and get it. Put everything you have into it. You have to open your heart. Because, read this verse with me. It says what? Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? See, wisdom isn't like, you know, an apple you buy from the store. Or it's not like a six-pack that somebody's addicted to. Or it, you, you can't buy wisdom with money. You have, to, you have to truly want it. You have to cry out to God for it. James chapter 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask. And the asking is in Proverbs chapter 2. We looked at that where he says, let, seek for wisdom as you would seek for silver. Incline your ear to wisdom. Seek for her. Search for her. And cry out to God. Lift up your voice for wisdom. You have to have a heart for it. And when people don't seize wisdom and live in wisdom, it's because they don't have a heart for it. Open your heart. The second thing, not just seize wisdom, but the second thing in this chapter is we must shun evil. We must shun the paths of evil, the paths of addiction. As I've said already, the deceitfulness of sin is it, it tantalizes us and promises us freedom. Sin promises pleasure, satisfaction, but it doesn't, it doesn't deliver. It does not deliver. It brings only guilt and shame and dishonor and wound and a short life. Wisdom brings a long life. So he says, shun the paths of addiction. I love what the writer says in these verses at the top of this next section in verse 10. He says, the years of your life will be many. And he says, I have, I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in the right path. So again, we've, we see that wisdom or foolishness are paths throughout this passage. And we have a choice. What path do we want? Do you want to go the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness? He even talks about the path, the, the way that leads to the strange woman house. And the, that path is, is going toward hell. That w that's how you will find yourself in hell. By living in sexual immorality. It's a path. So he says, shun those evil paths of addiction. Shun the deceitfulness of sin. And he says in verse 12, When thou goest, thy, thy steps shall not be straightened. And the word straightened there is literally narrow. In other words, if, you are, if we are living the Christian life the way God meant it to be lived, you won't feel like, oh man, I'm living... I mean, it is a narrow way. Jesus says the, the way is narrow, right? He did say. But there's a broadness to the way in the sense that you'll, you'll, you'll have freedom. So when he says your steps will not be straightened, the writer's saying there, when you walk in wisdom, you won't feel like you're just... You, you can't do anything, you know, like you, you, you just, th th that, that you're just being crunched with pressure. But no, actually, when you walk in wisdom, you, you will feel free in serving God. He says here, your steps will not be straightened. 
And he says, yeah, when you run, you won't stumble. So he says, take fast hold of this instruction and keep her. She is your life. So, this passage really talks about these dangerous paths. I I, I looked this up online. I found some. Can you imagine walking on? Did you see this? No, no thank you. I don't want to. That's the path of danger right there. That's the path of sin. That's the path of sin right there. You can fall. You could take one misstep and you're, you're, going to be a, you're going to be toast. But this passage really is the language of addiction. It's the language of obsession. Where people are driven by self-centeredness, by narcissism, by pride, by, by addiction and by, by self-absorption. They're just self-centered completely. Look what he says. In verse number 14, 15, where he says, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. I mean, he says like four, four different ways he says the same thing. Why? Because look what he says in verse 16. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. Now, when you can't sleep because you're thinking about some kind of sinful activity that you want to do, guess what? You've got a problem. If you can't sleep because you're thinking, oh, there's a basketball game today and i got to place some bets on that game. I'm amazed at how much... I believe they've relaxed laws for sports gambling. And now it's just crazy when you watch a game just on television... They have, you can gamble on the game throughout the game. And I don't know how many ways, honestly, I don't gamble. You know, you know how many lottery tickets I've bought in my life? None. Hallelujah. Praise God. I've saved a lot of money. I don't gamble. But it's like the addiction becomes more essential to them in this, in this verse. What does it say? The addiction and, and doing what they're thinking about and plotting becomes more important in verse 16 than what? Their what? Their sleep. They're willing to give up their sleep. In fact, they're not even tired because they're, they're so adrenaline-fueled to party all night. I often wonder, where do people get the energy to go to clubs all night long and dance and drink and snort? Where do they get that energy? They're getting it from the devil and they're getting it from this adrenaline-fueled obsession of selfishness. More important than sleep. And then, in verse 17, the addiction becomes more important than what? Than food. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So addiction becomes their life. They choose addiction over the basic essentials like food and drink. Isn't that terrible to actually be there? Many people are there. Many people live like this. Their weekend is lived like this. Drug-fueled, clubbing, adrenaline, obsessions, and they go all weekend and then they show up at work on Monday morning completely burned out from a weekend. That's how a lot of New Yorkers live. Sin is so addictive. It becomes more necessary than the 
basic necessities of life. And it reminds me that sin is a perverse foe. It's a monster. It's a hissing snake. Sin is born in our birth. It becomes alive in our faculties. It can follow us like a shadow. It can dominate our character, our thoughts, our words, our actions. And it can shape our character and it molds our eternal destiny. Break those power of addictions by the power of Jesus Christ. By the power of the blood that He shed on the cross. The addiction leads to unexpected stumbling. Look at verse 19. He says, the way of the wicked is as darkness. It puts them into the dark so they don't see the dangers that are there. They don't see the dangers that are right in front of them. They're blinded to it because they're in the dark. And it says they know not at what they stumble. They stumble and they say, and they say afterwards, we didn't know. We didn't see that coming. I, 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 didn't, I don't even know what hit me. It just, boom, out of the blue. They know not at what they stumble. So what kind of a path do we want to be on? A path like this? Of addiction? That leads to unexpected stumblings? Where the addiction becomes more important than sleep and food? Or do we want to be on the path where God says, your steps will not be straightened in verse 12. And when you run, He says in verse 12, you will not what? You won't stumble. What was in the news this weekend? Six young people went on spring break. You heard about that, right? One, at least one was a football player from West Point. These are some of the best and brightest amongst us. You know, in order to go to one of the military academies, you have to actually get a representative, a, a government representative, like in, the, in the, your, the House of Representatives that, that's in your district, you have to get them to approve of you and, and sign a letter for your admission into West Point. It's not easy to get into West Point or any of the military academies. And yet they went on a spring break and they were given what they thought was cocaine. that They shouldn't have been doing cocaine. But then it was laced with fentanyl. And they say, wow, we didn't know. They stumbled. They were in the dark. And it doesn't matter what school you go to, how smart you are, what kind of family you've lived. If you, if you start going down that path, and then you're with your friends, and you're with that pressure group, and there is pressure with friends. I know what, I know what it's like. When I was in high school, my friends started to do acid. And they said, hey, Matt, we're doing acid and you should, you should experience these, hallucina these hallucinations we're having, man. It is, a, it is awesome. It is cool. I said, no, I don't want to really. I, I don't think I want to do that. Oh, but Matt. And they kept after me. And they kept telling me what a great time it was. And I felt like I was outside of their circle. And so, yeah, eventually, like a fool, I followed in that path and, and took those kinds of drugs. And it... It, it was terrible to me over time. Thank God He delivered me from it. But I'm saying you don't want to go that pathway. The best way not to have an addiction, young people, listen, the best way not to go down this path and to, get, to live a life of addiction that ultimately you're going to be enslaved to it, don't start. Don't start. Because the ones who are there want to stop and they can't. I mean, people who smoke cigarettes, generally, just as an example... Do you know anyone who smokes cigarettes who says, oh, I just love to smoke cigarettes? 
this is such a great habit that makes me cough, that could give me lung cancer, and that costs $15 a pack. I'm just so glad I smoke. Do you know anyone like that? At least when I smoked cigarettes, we, we, we thought it was cool at first, and then you get addicted to it and you can't stop. That's how this thing really works. And all my friends, and me included, we all wanted to stop smoking cigarettes, but we were too weak to do it. Do not put confidence in your flesh when it comes to sin. Don't think, well, I could just do it once. You're a fool! How do you know whether you could do it once or not? Once you take that first drink, once you take that first snort, once you take, take that first cigarette, you could be going down a path that you will not be able to stop. The third thing, well, oh, the last thing, I'll just say this real fast. The elements of wisdom's pathway are life, that is safe, shining, and secure. That's verse 18. Beautiful verse. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. I love that verse. Isn't that a beautiful verse? What a contrast between the path of addiction and the path of shining light, the path of the righteous, the ones who have been made righteous by the grace of God. So let's break the power of addiction by season wisdom by shunning evil paths. Thirdly, shield your heart. Shield your heart. Now, this is the last section, verses 20 through 27, and the writer does something interesting. He, he shifts away from speaking about paths, and now he talks about body parts. He talks about our body parts in this passage. Like in verse number 20, talk to me now. Verse 20, what body part does he mention? Your ear. In verse number... 24, what body parts does he mention? Verse 24, your mouth and your lips. Verse 25, what body part does he mention? Your eyes. So he talks about all these different body parts. But the most important body part he talks about is in verse number 23, where he says what? Keep our heart, thy heart, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So this section talks about really the heart which is the heart of change for us. If we're going to change, we have to open up our heart to God and we have to, there has to be some rearrangement in our heart of what we believe in our heart, of what we think in our heart, and what we are seeking for in our heart. Now notice this verse. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Out of it, are the issues of life. So he says, guard your heart with all guarding. Above everything else that you guard, guard your heart. Keep it with all keeping. Like the crown jewels in England, you know, I think they're they're guarded 24-7, aren't they? Those precious crown jewels. Well, guard your heart like that. Your heart is even more important. Our hearts are more important to, to God than the crown jewels of any nation. He says, out of our heart are the issues of life. And that word issues speaks about, it actually defines our boundaries. And it defines the goings forth. And it's used actually in the book of Joshua. It's used in the book of Ezekiel for the going forth of boundaries. So he says, out of your heart are the issues of life. In other words... Your heart defines, describes the boundaries of what you want to possess. 
You want something in your heart. That's what I'm talking about. Let God see there. You want something in your heart. And your heart is going to lead you to go for it. Out of your heart, you will move toward what you think you must have in order to be content. What you must have to be full of joy and to have a a life that is satisfied. So out of your heart are the goings forth of what you want to possess to be content. We live from the heart. Out of it are the issues of life. So, so look at this sentence that I have up here. And fill this in for yourself. How would you fill in this statement? I must have what? To be content, joy-filled, or happy. I must achieve what? What, what do you think you must have? What you must achieve? Or what you must experience, what must you experience to be content in this life? To say, I'm living. (laughs) I'm content in my life. I'm happy with my life. Because I have this. Or you say, well, I'm not content and I'm not happy because I don't have this. Well, what is that? For some people, it's a husband. I gotta have a husband in order to be content and joy filled and happy. Or I have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or I have to have this job or, you know, a hundred other material things. But if you think that you must have a husband or a wife in order to be content and joyful and happy, what's your God? What would be your God? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to be married. That's a natural desire. Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong to want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to have a house or a car. It's not wrong to set a goal and say, I'm going to pray about this. But I'm talking about the ultimate. What do you think you must have, achieve, or experience to be joy-filled, to be truly content, to be fulfilled in your life? I'm talking about what do you really think in your heart? What's your heart telling you? What should we put in that as Christians? What should be in those blanks? Our Savior, Jesus Christ. His Word, as we've been talking, must be in our heart. We must know Jesus Christ. We must know His love for us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we must be on His way. There's a broad road that leads to destruction in this life. Many are going therein. Why? Because they're looking for this in all the wrong places. We know better. We know that Jesus Christ is the way of joy and peace and love. The fruit of the Spirit. So ultimately, when people have addictions, they're answering this wrong. For some, someone with an addiction, they're saying, I've got to have a drink. I've got I've to get another line of Coke. I've got to win that bet. Or, I want to build that casino to make money. Or, I want to I become a millionaire by buying a particular cryptocurrency. You know, whatever it could be. All these things could be God's. 
Let the Lord be your God. Let Jesus Christ be your Lord. Let Him shatter all these addictions because to know Jesus and to have Jesus is enough. It's more than enough to satisfy us. So shield your heart because out of your heart will flow your whole life. Your heart affects your mouth, your eyes, the path of your feet. And so that's what he references in verse 24 and 25 and 26 here where he says, put away from you a froward mouth and perverse lips. So when you guard your heart, your communications will get right. So keep your mouth kind and pure. What you say will be affected by what's in your heart, right? And then he says in verse 25, let your eyes look straight on. Now that doesn't mean you can't go like this when you're walking down the street. But he's really talking about our attention. And when we're following the Lord in His path, we're going to put our attention on the Lord and not be distracted with all the sins of this world. And my, the fears of this life. There's so many things to distract us from God right now in the news. And I'm not saying we shouldn't prayerfully care about some of these things. Yes, we care and we pray for our nation, for our world. But don't be distracted by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes right on. Let your eyelids look straight before you. Keep your attention. Don't be distracted by lesser lights and fleeting shadows and your actions. Where we're going, ponder the path of your feet. Because ultimately, your feet are going to go in the direction of your heart. It all flows out of the heart. Guard your heart out of it are the issues of life. So, beloved, I I believe as we close, go to Luke chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4. There is deliverance through Jesus Christ. There is power to break these addictions through Jesus Christ by His love, by His death for us on the cross. Let Him attract you to keep from being distracted by this world. Go to Jesus. Follow Him. And do His will. And and you'll be so caught up in following Him. The things of this world, like what are we saying, will, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Luke chapter 4, look please at verse 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. There it is, deliverance. To those who are captive, prisoners of war. The war against of sin, been taken captive by the devil. He can deliver you from the power of the devil, from the power of addiction, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. Hallelujah. Do you believe Jesus? Take this Word. Hide it in your heart. Guard your heart. Because your mouth bone is connected to the heart bone. Your eye bone is connected to the heart bone. Your foot bone is connected to the heart bone. (laughs) Everything's connected to the heart. Out of it flows the direction of your life. Let Jesus Christ be King of kings. The love of your life 
to whom you want to please and glorify. And the power of addiction can be destroyed. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Give us a powerful urgency today, O Lord, to seize wisdom, to shun the evil pathways of this life, and to shield our heart, to shield our heart and guard it, and keep it. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your promise that You came to deliver us We recognize that without You, Lord, we are captives to sin. We are slaves to sin. And You came to set us free. You said, Lord, that we would know the truth and the truth will set us free. Thank You, Lord. And because we've been set free, help us not to go back into bondage. Help us to walk in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Thank You, Lord. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Open up your heart to the Lord. Is Jesus Christ really the one who is in first place in your heart? Whom you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Uh, Disordered loves of the heart will lead to addiction. Because when the loves of your heart are out of order, you will go after those things first rather than Christ. I'm going to say, Pastor Matt, I've been just struggling with loving the Lord with all my heart and finding in Him my true sense of contentment, joy, peace, happiness. Pray for me, Pastor. Is there anyone honest enough that you've been struggling? And don't be ashamed if you have been, but just put your hand up and say, Oh God, help me to put you first. To love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And put your hand up for just a moment. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And say, Lord, I realize my heart, out of it are the issues of life, and I want to love you first in my heart. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Thank you for being honest. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, I'm not saved. If I die today, I have no hope, confidence that I will go to heaven. But I want to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to know how I can have forgiveness of sins. I want to know how I can be sure of being heaven bound when I'm done with this earthly life. Can I see your hand? Is there anyone like that? Can I pray for you? Anyone at all? So now, Lord God, please work in our, in our midst and be glorified in our lives. We thank You and praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.